when they heard brain in hospice, they thought, oh my goodness, you know, he's in his final days. But that wasn't what it was about for us. We just were looking for all the resources, all hands on deck to give him the best quality of life. And hospice was such a main part of it. Hi, I'm Bobby. I was a caregiver for my father-in-law, Roger, for seven years. And having entered into the caregiving world, not understanding how much time it would take, I knew afterwards that I wanted to support other caregivers. I'm now a certified caregiving consultant and educator and a frequent presenter at caregiver conferences and webinars. And I'm her husband, Mike, and I'm a certified caregiver advocate and a certified music therapist. And this is Roger That, the podcast dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. Here we focus on the caregiver, offer practical insights, and share some emotional support. And we might share a laugh or two, because we all know laughter, it's the best medicine. And Michael, you've given me a lot of laughter medicine over the years. (laughs) (laughs) So it's been a while since we talked about end of life and hospice. I believe it was episode 68 with Reverend Hank Dunn since we've talked about that. And now we're coming up on our third season. Yeah, in January, we start our third season. Um, And I'm really glad that we're going to be talking about this today because, unfortunately, a lot of people don't really understand what hospice care means and when you can bring someone in to help you. And that brings us to today's guest. She was a part of a team of family caregivers for her 86-year-old father-in-law. The care term included her husband, sister-in-law, and a paid caregiver to keep him at home on his farm while in late stages of Alzheimer's. She believed that her loved one was not far enough along to qualify for hospice assistance. However, she was urged by a stranger, a fellow home caregiver on social media, to call hospice, at least for an informational meeting. She reached out to hospice and was amazed to learn at how helpful this little-known before-end-of-life resource was during her loved one's final weeks of life. We are pleased to welcome Kathy Peters. Welcome, Kathy. Hi, Kathy. Thank you. Very happy to be here. So, Kathy, we very often open a segment um, talking with caregivers about their uh, experience as caregivers. Stories like this help other caregivers understand that they are not alone. So would you like to share something with us and our listeners? Of course. Thanks for having me. Um, And I totally agree that uh, it's important for caregivers to know that they're not alone. And when we were suddenly thrown into this uh, situation of caregiving for my father-in-law, it was very important for me to seek out resources because I knew nothing of caregiving for Alzheimer's or any any sort of elderly care. So um, one of the things I did was join a Facebook group, a couple of them, for dementia, Alzheimer's caregiving. And it was so extremely helpful just to hear the stories that sounded so similar or sounded like something that we saw several months ago or a year ago. Or um, and, and one of those Facebook posts talked about hospice. And I thought... Um, you know, well, he's still functioning. He's still mobile. He's still eating. He, you know, is still talking, although all of his conversation was in the past uh, topics. Um, But I, knowing that others had experiences that I didn't have, I sought out those resources. And when I was urged to please, please, please call hospice is how she worded it. 
that's what led us to to make that call. Now, how far along was he? Um, you say you didn't think he was that far along, but how far along was he when you did make the call? He was, you know, based on, um, you know, the neurologist never really said, but based on things that we had read and, you know, charts and things that you read, he was late stage six, probably, if if you use that type of stage um, framework paradigm for Alzheimer's. So he was advanced. Advanced, yes. Yeah, to make it easy, um, there are, you know, some people say stage six, some people say there's four stages. Um, it's, for for some people to understand, it's either beginning, middle, or late. And yes. so we would say he was late stage. Yes, he was. But he was still functioning quite well. He was, um, he was not able to independently um, dress, toilet. Um, he, you know, he couldn't prepare meals, but he could feed himself. When I would read about hospices, it's such this nebulous thing until you really learn about it. Um, it just didn't, it didn't occur to us. At the, about the end of July of this year, we moved into the farmhouse. They had farmed for years and years and years. My father-in-law had farmed this land and lived here for 70 years and so it was his home so it was the children's their four siblings um, decision to keep him home and care for him at home so we took on the task of doing that when uh, my father-in-law's wife uh, left the home at the end of July I hadn't spent a whole lot of time with him up until that time to know kind of where he's at. I would just hear what my husband would say through the last three or so years since he was diagnosed. Um, but he had learned some of the do's and don'ts in interacting with uh, my father-in-law, um, and but never really experienced the morning routines and the evening routines and bedtime and that sort of thing. So everything was just brand new to us. We had a lot to learn very quickly. Yeah, don't we all? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We can definitely say that this is a learning experience. I call Mike's dad the, the most important uh, teacher I ever had. Oh, absolutely. You know, you talked about him being a farmer. My dad grew up in Italy on a farm. And uh I started a small garden. We don't live on a farm. We live in a in a development, so the the garden is limited at best. But my dad still recalled things about farming and and gave me some tips. Was your father in law the same way? You guys continued to farm. Was he involved in any way with the um, upkeep of the farm? Right. His involvement with actual um, functions on the farm ended probably two years ago because forgot how to run the tractors, his uh, response time declined, um, memory issues, things like that. But in those late stages, remaining on the farm and keeping him at home was the best thing to keep his quality of life towards the end of life uh, for him. He perseverated on all things farming. Hmm. That's all he would talk about was things that related to the crops or the animals or what the guys were doing um, because right now we're in harvest. And so that was, that was the, um, 
topic a lot of the times, but he very much focused on farming topics because that was his whole life. Right. He didn't have hobbies. He didn't have, that was what another thing that was difficult for us was keeping him entertained because he didn't have hobbies. He didn't have TV shows that he watched. He didn't read books frequently, you know, so it was all about the farm. So it, it, it's funny. I have a funny story about my dad. So the first year he was with us, got this little patch beside the deck and I planted tomatoes and I had some uh, plants on the deck and the wind blew one of the plants over and it hit one of the new tomato plants and it broke it, right? And my dad was, oh my God, you know, the, the, the plant broke and it was only about four inches. And I said, that's okay, dad, I'll swing by the store and I'll get another one. He says, no, 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 I'll take care of it. And he went out and he got a stick Actually, he got a twig and put it in the ground and he took a blade of grass and tied that tomato plant and he put a Band-Aid around where it was broken. And I thought, well, geez, isn't that cute? And let it go with that. And he would check on it two, three times a day. And don't you know that tomato plant was the most prolific plant I had that year. Oh, for heaven's sake! It was absolutely amazing. And I attribute it to the TLC that he gave it with the Band-Aid and with checking on it and nurturing that one plant every day. He says, no, no, you don't have to buy another one. I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. So that from 60 years prior just stayed with him. And and he was able to do that. And, uh, you know, that's it's, it's, a, it's a funny story, but it's a cherished memory. Oh, absolutely. So did you by any chance have, you know, some of the other people who are actually working the farm, you know, maybe come and talk to him about farming and let him be the expert? Well, the people who work on the farm are my husband and my two sons now. Um, there's a couple others that help as well. Um, a very good family friend helps quite frequently and a cousin. And, you know, when they would come in inside the house or when he would be out, he liked to take walks on the barnyard. They would listen to him. His conversations, again, weren't in the present. But, yeah, absolutely. Let him tell the stories. Let him tell um, how things work or how things used to be, but to him it was present. And so listening was so key in caregiving for him. Yes. Now, did you happen to document the stories? One of my biggest regrets is not journaling every day. It's not like you had anything else to do. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but I absolutely, absolutely regret not journaling every day, let alone the daily activities and as things, you know, declined and so forth, but just the stories that he would talk about. Of course, they were the same stories by the time we came in, you know, over and over and over. There were several very specific things that he talked about. So much of it had to do with farming, but... um there are a lot of stories, you know, as family came in um, that were talked about that I would like to see documented, absolutely. And you can you can still do that. As a matter of fact, I started writing uh, my first book, uh, Confessions of an Imperfect Caregiver, while we were caring for Mike's dad. And then his care just took over, and, and um, that had to be put aside. So, you know, you haven't lost those stories. And, um, yeah, it would, be, it would be great 
to um, to record those and save them. Now, when it comes to hospice care, yes. did you have any difficulty finding a, an organization? Well, we um, once we were, like I said, urged to co- to contact. I we were so new to everything. Now we used a full time caregiver Monday through Friday was here from an agency here in the small town that we live. Um, and we just kind of got to learn about the caregiving uh, businesses, you know, the industry. I mean, there's so many. And then when it came to hospice, we just didn't know, is there one hospice organization out there? Are there more than one? Who do we call? What do we do? Um, And so I had a contact at one of the caregiving businesses and she referred me to a agency that provided hospice. So those were the first people that we called and uh, came in and had an informational meeting and um, to our amazement, he qualified Um, and we were all set to go with them. But then when we talked with our caregiving agency, they said, wow, you really need to shop around. And I thought, shop around? (laughs) That wasn't even in my, the forefront of my mind. Why would you shop around for hospice? I mean, isn't hospice one thing? And so it really opened our eyes to, you know, the industry that there are many different hospice care providers. Yes, and some organizations um, see hospice different than others. Um, and it's one of the reasons why I reached out to you, because you found a good one and you had a really good experience with it. Um as, as you mentioned, this is now a business. There's many, many, many um, hospice providers out there, and it is important to check into it, and I'm glad that you got that advice. Absolutely. Um, the the hospice uh, caregiving agency that we settled with, we were absolutely beyond expectations. The services that they provided, the nursing services, the health care aid, the, the social worker, everybody was so on our side and um, worked so well with us. And even though they were based out of a city 45 minutes from here, if we needed them, boy, they were here in 45 minutes. If we needed a medication of some sort, it was ready at the pharmacy within 45 minutes. There, There aren't words to describe how helpful hospice was to bring them in early. He was not on his deathbed he was still functioning in many ways but yet hospice was able to provide us with services um, advice supplies support resources information just help and support Um, we thought we still had a year left with with him we had no idea um, and so bringing him in, him in early was a foreign concept to many com- people in our community. When they heard bringing in hospice, they thought, oh, my goodness, you know, he's in his final days. Um, but that wasn't what it was about for us. We just were looking for all the resources, all hands on deck to give him the best quality of life. And hospice was such a main part of it. They are very, very, very special people. The people that work in hospice are very special people. And we had them coming in for six months before your your father passed. Mm-hmm. And I just right. 
I just saw a post on one of these Facebook dementia care groups that uh, she mentioned that somebody's mother was being removed from hospice after two years. People can graduate. They improve for a while and then they may end up going back on hospice, but it can change over time and they can be with you for a very long time and, and the support remains the same. I know we got very close to the dementia uh-huh. um, providers, the the hospice providers that were coming in. It was almost hated to see them go once it was over with. Yes, we fell in love with every single one of the workers that came in. They were so just caring. I hadn't, I'd never experienced anything like it. Um, they, you know, all of them fell in love with my father-in-law because, you know, he was very sweet. And um, of course, you know, with Alzheimer's, there were many times of agitation and other things that um, took place. But she, you know, the nurses and, and everybody just took such good care of him. And he appreciated You could tell just in the look in his eyes and when he would smile that he was receptive. They, Like you said, Michael, they are very special people. Yes, they are. It takes a very special person to be hospice. Roger seemed to like to spend time more with the male workers, like the guy that came in to, you know, help shower or bathe him. He was a a little more uncomfortable with women, but I think that was part of his culture. He said to me one time, you realize in the old country, women are second-class citizens. And uh, my response was, you understand you don't live there anymore. And you're in my house now. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, most of the caregivers were women. In fact, uh, you know, it was really interesting throughout these few months that we spent here with him. He responded so much better to my husband than anyone else than to me or to his wife or to um, his daughter who was helping immensely Um, and then all the caregivers were women but he would respond everybody had a different personality so you know based on that personality he would respond but boy if my husband came in or asked him to do something told him to do something he would immediately respond to to him um however there was one hospice individual the chaplain was a gentle older man with army experience and 30 years in the army and my father-in-law had had some army experience and when he walked in my father-in-law's eyes light lit up as they shook hands and I thought this is going to be so wonderful for him to have an older gentleman to just sit and talk with and tell army stories and um, unfortunately that wasn't to be uh, because my father-in-law passed uh, before the chaplain's next visit but um, I think the male bond that he had with my husband was so important because they'd farmed together for 45 years. And um, so definitely he responded to that male influence. But most of his caregivers were female. And he was kind of a flirt, so that was okay. (laughs) Oh, my. I would never do that. (laughs) Kathy, one of the things we said in the the bio Mm -hmm. is – that you were part of a care team. And one other thing that Bobby constantly 
preaches and talks about and tries to get people to do is put a care team in place. Can you talk to us about the care team that you were part of and the roles and responsibilities? That's a really good question. I use the term care team simply because when we entered into this situation, it was all hands on deck. And that included my husband, his sister, Connie, who lives about 45 minutes away, our uh, paid out-of-pocket caretaker who worked Monday through Friday during the days, uh, myself and uh, hospice. Um, Pretty much were the group of people who cared for my Mm father-in-law. In In terms of roles, uh, the caretaker would... uh, keep him active during the day, feed him breakfast and lunch, and keep him safe. My husband and his sister, um, initially, before we moved into the house, would take care of morning and evening. So getting him up, getting him ready. He had a catheter, so, you know, medical things. Um, Getting him dressed, those types of things. And then the evening time, um, you know, he had a lot of sundowners, so there's a lot of agitation. So taking care of him during that time and putting him to bed. And again, the medical issues with the um, catheter and so forth. My role initially was resource gathering, researching caregivers, researching, again, once hospice came into the picture, figuring out, you know, what other things can we, what other tools can we bring into this home to make his life better and our job easier? Um, You know, technology is wonderful. My husband put in cameras. We had a bed alarm. We, you know, simple things like a a raised toilet seat, tools like that. And then I I, I researched things like lift chairs and uh, all-terrain walkers. And so initially, before we moved in, that was my role. But then once we moved in, Connie and my husband, John, would, um, she would come up and spend the night still a couple nights a week. And, you know, she would have her shift in the evenings and night. Um, I would be the sole caregiver when Connie wasn't here and when my husband was in the fields. And on the weekends, she would come up. So we'd, we, we, we tag teamed it. We just tag teamed it all the time. There came a point where he needed two people with him at all times. Um, so when that was the case, um, it was either myself and my sister-in-law or myself and the caregiver or any combination of two people. Um, so we just made sure that he had someone with him at all times and to keep him safe and that end of life quality. And then hospice, their role was, again, just to provide us those resources and support and response time um, when we needed it uh, for medical issues and um, concerns that we had with behaviors, you know, the end, the hallucinations and the agitation Mm -hmm. all of the things that your family came together to do for your father-in-law in the hospice care were examples of what we would all like to happen uh yes Mm -hmm. but i wanted to bring up a very special moment between mike and the hospice nurse um when 
Roger was very close to dying. Yeah, it was it was literally the the end of lifetime. And the hospice nurse was here. And she says, you know, it's uh, days, if not hours. So why don't you two go out, get something to eat and relax? Because it's going to be a long weekend, uh, a long night, possibly a long weekend. So we went to a local restaurant and we pushed our food around the plate for about a half hour, 45 minutes. You were very concerned that he might die on his birthday. Yes, I was I was very concerned that he was going to die on his birthday, which was the next day. Mm-hmm. So we came home, and she happened to mention that she was sitting there saying little prayers that he would hold on until tomorrow so that he could die on his birthday. And I thought, well, that's odd, because I'm thinking just the opposite. And so I asked her why, and she says, think about it, his last birthday what better birthday presents than to see your wife, your sister, your mother, your father, and God. Mm. What a wonderful, wonderful final birthday present. And I went, whoa. And so I sat there hoping that he would hold on until after midnight so that he could pass on his birthday. Just opposite of what I was thinking a half hour before. And he did pass on his 83rd birthday. Oh, my heavens. What a beautiful story. It was interesting. At one point um, earlier in in that day, he had looked up into the corner of the room, and he said, Oh, look, I see the mist. Bobby, you go first. And I thought, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I had been with him day and night through this whole journey, and I figured he was a little... Um, concerned, and he wanted me to check it out. Um, so I said to him, I'm going to stay here with Mike for a while, but if you need to go, mm. it's okay. Now, my interpretation of that was very different than my husband's. I mean, he laughs every time he hears that, like he was like, maybe he was going to push me in so he didn't have to go. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, my interpretation was he wanted. He, he needed to feel safe, and he trusted me to check it out first. But it's important, mm-hmm. I think, for people to remember, sometimes you have to give them permission. And, you know, reassured him that Mike and I would take care of each other, and if it was time, um, it was okay. Yeah, we had uh, a pretty special story as well. The uh, the Friday, he, he passed away on a Sunday, and I think it was the Friday before he told his other son, who was here in town, um, because we knew we were close to the end, that he had a really important date Saturday night. And uh, his son said, oh, you do? With who? And he said, um, with, I, I don't know who said it, but it ended up being that he had an important date with his first wife, who is the the children's mother and uh who passed many 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 years ago so he so we were thinking wow is is it going to be saturday you know is he for you know kind of forecasting that he has this big date he has to get ready for saturday night well saturday night the guys were in the fields until about three or four o'clock in the morning because they had to get uh, you know, crops out, they had to get the rye planted, they had to get everything done because rain was coming on Sunday. And 
my father-in-law held on all Saturday night. He knew that work needed to be done. And um, so it was Sunday morning when the nurse came and said, you have hours that, you know, we called a preacher in, we all gathered and he passed at about 124. And so, you know, thinking back, he missed his date, but by gosh, he was with them when they were working an all-nighter in the fields. Um, because that was that was his life. Wow. Yeah, that's a good story. Good story. Well, Kathy, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. You're very welcome. I'm sure that hearing from you is going to be very helpful to our listeners. And I'm glad that you mentioned the Facebook support groups because those are resources that don't cost anything, that are available 24 hours, seven days a week. And I frequently tell people, we get it, vent here, you know, uh, and sometimes people feel a little guilty about sharing some of the frustrations, but that should be a safe place, and, and I'm glad that you mentioned that, and I took a couple of notes. One of it says, to, to remind people, look into hospice support before you think that you need it. Absolutely. Right, and also shop, right? Looking for hospice or getting hospice care is no different than looking at assisted living facilities or, or dementia facilities yep. or memory care facilities. And don't be afraid to call hospice early. And you are frequent on the different Facebook pages. That's something that we didn't have when we were going through our caregiver journey. But yes, very important. Lots of support. Uh, one of the things we typically share with the caregiver support group is anticipate because we know that this can often be a very long, slow journey, but you're going to need more information and more resources as things go along. And you don't want to wait until the crisis occurs. Correct. So that fits right in with looking into hospice before you think that you need it. Right. Absolutely. And if there's one more thing I might add, um, if you don't mind, is that even just from looking like at the social media, we as a family, we're very, very blessed to have the resources we had. Many of the folks that I read on the Facebook pages are sole caregivers. And, um, you know, having the uh, ability to have an out-of-pocket in-home caregiver was such a blessing. Many don't have that. And so, especially for those that are sole caregivers, hospice early hospice could just be such a blessing to them as well. Absolutely. We appreciate your reminding people of that. You can find more information about Kathy on our show website at rogerthat.show. This has been Roger That. I'm Bobby. And I'm Mike. And we are dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. So please subscribe to the show, go to iTunes, post a review, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question or issue you'd like for us to address, please post on the Roger That Facebook page. To find out more about us, head over to rogerthat.show. That's Roger, R-O-D-G-E-R, that.show. Roger That is produced by Missing Link, a media podcast company dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Also in the Missing Link lineup of podcasts is the Designated Drinker Show, the podcast raising the bar on craft cocktails. Here you meet interesting folks, enjoy boozy banter, and learn how to make craft cocktails from a master.
And if you're looking for a whole new way to enjoy theater, check out Between Acts, an immersive audio theater podcast experience. Each episode takes you on a spellbinding journey through the works of newfound playwrights, from dramas to comedies and all those in between. Find Missing Link's League of Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe, download, and review the shows as your review helps our show reach new audiences. To find out more about Missing Link, visit missinglink.company.